Well, good morning. Psalm 63 this morning. Psalm 63, we are continuing our series on Sunday morning, looking at the heart of worship. And we're examining different psalms that teach us about developing a heart for worship. In fact, today we're sort of looking at a psalm that describes for us the inner essence of worship or what should be the essence of worship in our lives. I want to begin by actually looking at the, the title, if you will, even before we get to verse 1, because it's important. This is a psalm of David written when he was in the Judean wilderness. That literally means a desert place. David was in the desert. And so you and I in the Phoenix area, we can certainly relate with what it looks like, what it feels like to be in a desert place. We understand that because we live in one as well. This was during a time that David was the king of Israel, but there were forces who had now driven him out of Jerusalem. They had driven him out of the palace. They had driven him away from the temple of God. Here he was basically at this point in his life, he's the king, but he's lost it all. He's lost his throne. He's lost his ability to be able to worship with the people of God in the temple of God. He's lost all that. He's now in a desert place running for his life from those who had driven him out in the first place, who tried to usurp the throne. He's in a very desert place of his life when he writes this. And it's a reminder that, as we're going to see, that even out of great adversity in our lives can come great fruitfulness. That's one of the blessings of being a follower of God is even in our desert times of life, even in our hard, difficult, adverse times of life, there can still be some really good things that come out of that, including the things that God wants to do in our own life, you see. In fact, I'll even say this. I listen to people who've been in the desert and who admit that they've been in the desert. Because personally, I don't get anything from somebody who's said they've never been in the desert of their life. They, you know, they have no desert experiences. I can't relate with that. I can relate with somebody who's been there where David's been. I can relate to somebody who's been in a dry place and been in the desert and lost everything and been driven away. I can relate to that, you see. And so I think David has something to say to all of us. So for these next few moments that we're together, let's look for a few moments at the words that comes from not David's mind so much as much as David's heart. And what David is going to relay to us today is this. He says at this moment of time, in this really low point of his life, he's thirsting after God, he treasures God, and he trusts God. And that those three things really form the essence of worship. When we talk about worship, 
Worship is really about thirsting after God, treasuring God, and trusting God. And we see all three in these 11 verses. But I want to begin in the first four verses where we see David thirsting for God. Now again, remember, even before we read these words, where David's at in his life as he writes this, he's lost everything, at least that you and I would consider something. He's no longer the king at this point. He's lost the throne. He's lost his palace as the king. He's lost all the things that go along with it, all the trappings, all the delicacies of the king's table, all the comforts of being in that place. He's lost his ability to be able to worship God in the temple of God. He's been driven from this nice city where he ruled over Jerusalem out now to the barren desert. He's lost everything. And yet at the moment that he's lost everything, what does he want? What is the one thing that David wants more than anything at this point in his life? Well, notice his words. Oh God, you are my God. I long for you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. First of all, notice before we move on that all of this thirst has to start, though, with a personal relationship with God. Because notice the personal pronouns throughout the psalm, and especially in verse 1 where David declares, you're my God. Just as David declared in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. It's not like God is our God. No, God is our God, but he's also my God. I hope each of you can say that this morning. Because until you and I have a personal encounter and have a personal relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ and what Jesus did on the cross and then subsequently rising from the dead to conquer, then you and I can't go any further until we first come to that relationship with God where it's not their God, it's my God. He's my God. That's why even as a pastor of a church, we try to get people to a point where they partner with us and engage so much that the Oasis Church isn't their church, it's my church. Amen. That I'm personally invested in this place. This isn't just somebody else's church, this is my church, this is personal. God wants to get us all there as well. It's not their God, he's my God too. My God. But notice, what is David longing for? What is he thirsting for? What does he want more than anything else? Notice, he doesn't say, God, I want to be king again. God, I want my throne back. God, I want the comfy life of living in the palace. God, I, I, I want, you know, all these other things. I, I want to taste the delicacies of the king's table again. No, he says at this point in his life when he's lost everything, what's the one thing he wants more than anything else? God, I want you. I want you. Why is it so important to have a thirst for God? Well, let me say this. 
Having this desire for God is really where worship starts and what worship is all about. You see, because it is declaring to us what we value the most, what, what is worth the most to us. That's what worship is. Worship, in essence, is declaring what we value the most. As a result of that, that's why worship fuels all of our actions as human beings. Let me repeat that. That's important. Do you realize that? Worship fuels all of our actions as human beings. It becomes the driving force of all that you and I do as a human being. Why? Because God created us as human beings to be worshipers. And every human being is a worshiper. It's not like, well, you know, you and I, we choose to worship God, but other people choose not to worship. No, no, no. Every human being worships something or someone. Every human being has sort of a trail of breadcrumbs, if you will, that leads back to an altar in their life, which also leads to a throne somewhere that they're worshiping. There is a multitude of souls on this planet that proclaim with every breath what is worthy of their affection, their attention, their allegiance. They proclaim with every step what it is they worship. You see, whatever you and I spend our time doing the most, whatever we spend our money on, whatever we put forth our effort into, whatever our allegiance truly is, when you get to the end of all those things, that will show you and I what it is or who it is we worship. Amen. It's not like it's hard to figure out. All you and I have to do is start asking ourselves those questions. What do I spend the most time doing? What do I invest my material resources into? Where's my allegiance primarily? Where's my affection? What am I really putting forth effort to do? When you get to the end of all that, that's the altar and there's a throne behind it and that's who or what we worship. Amen. And David is simply saying to us, I lost everything. And yet I realize even at that moment of not having everything and not even having the promise that maybe I'll ever get any of that back, I realize that the most important thing in my life is my God. And that's who I thirst after. That's who I long. That, I miss God. <laughs> you ever been in that place as a Christian even where you missed God? And can I say as a pastor, I'll even go a step further. You ever been in a place where you missed being in church? I wish more people did miss church. <laughs> Seems like a lot of people today call themselves Christians, but they don't really miss being in church. Well, I got to confess to you, and it's not just because I'm a pastor, because if you knew me before I became a pastor, you would know 
I missed being in church and it had nothing to do with being a pastor. I missed being in church where God manifested his presence and where I was with my brothers and sisters in Christ. And there have been times in my life where I, through the choices that I made, it wasn't so much necessarily through what other people did to me as David, but sometimes through my own choices where I put myself in a desert place and I missed God. Now, the cool thing is, and we even sung about it, and one of the reasons why God is so worthy of our worship is at any time I can run back to God. Amen. It's not like I have to stay in the desert place spiritually. I don't have to stay spiritually dry. I can come back to God at any time, and he will be there to meet me and to embrace me and to hug on me and say, welcome back, Jeff. Amen. Welcome back. But I hope we at least have that relationship with God where if we do distance ourselves or create a distance between us and God, that there comes a point where we miss him and where we long after him and we thirst after him. And then I love what David says in verse 2 because he does bring it back to the fact that there is something special, there is something unique, there is something unprecedented about the way God manifests himself in his houses of worship with his people. Yes, God meets with us on an individual, personal level throughout the week, but there's something really special and even cool to God about having his people come together and leaving our homes and, and coming together as his people in a community and where God specifically and, and powerfully manifests itself. And notice David even says that in verse 2. He says, yes, I miss the fact that I can't be in the temple in, in God's house with God's people because it was in the sanctuary, God, where I've seen you. Amen. It was in your house that I witnessed your power and your splendor. Not just in my life individually, it was in your house I saw you. It was in your house that I witnessed your power and splendor. And can I say that the one desire I have above everything else as the pastor of this church is that the Oasis Church would be known where it's a house of worship of God, where when people come, they see God here that they experience God here, that they witness God's power and God's glory and splendor on display here. Because if that's not the case, then what are we doing here? Amen. It's supposed to be about God, you see. And David missed that. And then verse 3 is one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. David says, because experiencing your loyal love, God, your loving kindness, as we talked about last week, is better than life itself. David says, you can't get any better than knowing God loves you. Amen. When you've experienced the love of God in your life, David's like, it doesn't get any better than that. When we allow God's love to just flow into our lives, when we take down the barriers and the obstacles and just let God's love flow into our lives and we receive it, David's like, there's nothing 
There's nothing that can compare to that. And my throne doesn't compare to that. All the cushiness of being the king in the palace doesn't compare to that. Even his temple doesn't compare to that. Just being loved on by God, there's nothing like it, David says. Oh, that we would feel that same way. That I could lose everything in my life, everything could be taken from me, but God, as long as I am loved by you, that's real living. Because nothing can compare to being loved by God. No wonder then David says, does this not lead us to want to worship him when he says, my lips will praise you, God. Let me ask you a question. I know the answer to this already. Do you have lips? Then guess what? If we have lips, let's praise the Lord with them, right? And then he says in verse 4, oh, for this reason I will praise you while I live. I think I know the answer to this question too. Are you alive this morning? Some of you, it might be a little iffy, I know. But if you're alive this morning, guess what? We should be praising him while we're alive. And then David says at the end, in your name I will lift up my hands. You have hands? I have hands. I should lift them up, praising and acknowledging the Lord today. You see, in the first four verses of this psalm that is written in the desert place of David's life when he was driven from Jerusalem as the king of Israel, David was thirsting for God. Folks, That's the essence of worship. Do we truly value God above anything and everyone else? Is he worth more to us than anything or anyone else in this world? Or have we become attracted and distracted by the things of the world that can never fulfill or satisfy like God can? Which leads to verses 5 through 8 where David now goes from thirsting for God to expressing his heart treasuring God. Notice what he says in verse 5. As if with choice meat, you satisfy my soul. You fill me up, God. That's what he's saying. You fulfill me. It's like I sat down at the king's table, and there was always more than enough for me to eat. And David is saying, if I will just sit at your table every day, God, I will be fulfilled. I will be satisfied. Even Jesus said to his followers, you drink from the water that I'll give you, you'll never be thirsty. You sit at my table and, drink and eat from my food, you'll never go hungry. I'm the bread of life. You take me in and you'll never be hungry again a day in your life. There's so many even Christians today who are thirsting and hungering. And why are they still thirsty and hungry? Because they're trying to satisfy themselves on the things of the world rather than on God. And that's why worship and developing a heart of worship is so important. Because when we develop a heart of worship of God, not only will we begin to see that we are creating a thirst for God in our life, 
but where we truly treasure God. And we know that he is the one that can only fulfill and satisfy the deepest longings of our soul. David is saying in verse 5, I find that all my longings, God, are met in more in you. Notice here in verses 5, 6, 7, and 8, he is cherishing God. In fact, he's not just experiencing God or engaging with God. He's actually declaring, I enjoy you, God. You have people like that in your life, even as a human being? Sure you do. You have people that you spend time with that you not only, you know, get together and, 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 and share time together, but when you walk away from being with them, you've actually enjoyed them in their company. They're, they're a joy to be with. And hopefully that's true of us, that when people are in our company, it's not just about you know, occupying the same space, but that they leave our time with us going, I enjoyed being with them. Their, their presence was a joy and a refreshment to me. That's what David's saying about his God. Now, there are three things in verses 5 through 8 that David declares here that shows that God is his treasure. And I point these out, or I want to point them out today, because these are ways that you and I even show other people that they're a treasure to us, okay? Or that we're a treasure to them. Three things, David says. First of all, he says in verse 5, my mouth joyfully praises you. You and I praise those we treasure. Let me repeat that. You and I praise those we treasure. Instead of tearing people down and, and all of that, we build them up and we praise them. That's a way that we manifest the fact that we treasure them. Well, as a Christian, if I truly treasure God, I'm going to desire to praise him, to, to cast him in a good light with everyone that I come in contact with, to, to, to shine a positive light on my God, to show others how great he is and what a wonder he is and all that. I, I'm going to do everything I can to, to put him up and to put the best light possible I can. That's a way that you and I show God and we show others that we treasure them when we praise them. That's not the only way, David says. Notice in verse 6, whenever I remember you on my bed and even think about you during the nighttime hours. Another way we show God and others that we treasure them is thinking about them. You think about the people that you treasure. And if we treasure God, then we will be constantly filling our mind with thoughts of him. We will be reminding ourselves and mindful of who he is and all the blessings that have come from him and continue to come from him into our lives every day. We will remember him during the day and we will remember him during the night. We will think about him, David says, even in the middle of the night, if I'm awakened, my thoughts will tend to 
travel towards God and how good it is to be a child of God and to be saved and know I'm, my sins are forgiven and I'm on my way to an eternal heaven and glory and, and God, you've just blessed me so much. And, and our thoughts will go there because we treasure him. But there's another way that you and I show that we treasure others. And that's in verse 8. After David says, you are my deliverer under your wings, I rejoice. I love that even the king is saying here, God, I'm so thankful that I'm like a, I'm like a little bird that is being protected and provided for by by its mother, I feel that way about you, God. But then he says this in verse 8, my soul not only thirsts for you, verse 1, my soul pursues you, verse 8. You pursue what you treasure. You and I run after who we cherish. You see, the word pursue means to stay close to someone. In fact, it's a term in the Hebrew that literally means to be glued together. David is saying, God, I don't want to get so far away from you. I, I want to stay glued to you. I want to be by your side, and I will do everything I can, God, to stick by you. I want to be close to you, God. That's showing God we treasure him. Instead of living at a distance from God, it's no God. I want to stay right where you are. In a sense, it would be like if we were on earth when Jesus was here and he would be like walking and kicking up the dust because the rabbis used to have this term. They, they would tell their followers, walk in the dust of your rabbi. Don't, don't stay back so far away that the dust is not getting on you from following the, the, your, your leader. And in a sense, that's what you and I should be doing as Christ followers. We should be following Jesus so close that in a sense, we are walking in the dust that he is kicking up every day. David says, I not only thirst for you, God, I treasure you. I treasure you by praising you. I treasure you by thinking of you always. And I treasure you by pursuing you. That's true in our lives as well. And then finally, in verses 9 through 11, David expresses his trust in God. He says three things about those who are after him. Those who are not just on the wrong side of him, if you will, but on the wrong side of God. And, and it's not because David considers himself such a wonderful person that, well, anybody that goes up against me goes, no, he understands the role that he's playing at this point in, in God's kingdom, that he is God's anointed, that Samuel anointed him as a very young man as the future king of Israel, and that was to be his role. And so anyone that is trying to, to usurp that isn't just going against David. They're actually going against the will of God. And David knows then, because he trusts God, that it's not going to go well for my enemies. But it will, because I trust you, God. I know it's going to go well for me. 
It may not look really good for me right now in this desert place, but I'm looking past where I am right now and I'm trusting in you. I know that it's not always going to be like this. So three things David says about those who are against him. First of all, they're going to (laughs) die. He says, enemies seek to destroy my life, verse 9, but they will descend into the depths of the earth. Second, verse 10, they will die in battle. Each one will be handed over to the sword. Their corpses will be eaten by jackals. And finally, at the end of verse 11, the third thing he says about his enemies is God will shut their mouths one day. In fact, can I tell you that it's the end of this psalm, verse 11, that actually I think gives us insight as to when David wrote this in his life. Because there are some who think that David actually wrote this as he was running from Saul before he actually even became king. I don't believe that to be the case. I think that the lying people that he's talking about here is he's talking about the revolt of his own son Absalom and those later on after David was king who drove him out of Jerusalem, drove him into the Judean wilderness that he's talking about here in Psalm 63, which actually to me makes it more significant. It would be one thing to try to describe, in a sense, a a bad situation, but you've never really experienced it. It's another thing to know David knows what it's like to be at the top. He knows what it's like to be king. He's been king for years. He knows what it's like to sit on the throne. He knows what it's like to live in the palace of the king. He knows what the king's delicacies taste like. He knows all that, and he's lost it. And yet these are still his words from his heart. That even makes more of an impact for what he's going through. And yet notice what he says in verse 11, expressing again his trust in the Lord. But the king will rejoice in God. He's saying, God, I know that better days for me and the kingdom are coming. And this is a good time again to repeat something that I've shared with you from really day one of opening the Oasis Church now. And that is that these verses, verses 9 through 11, really illustrate the principle that those who are are opposed to God and who reject God in their lives, the things of this earth that they can grab a hold of while they're here, this is the only heaven they will ever know. And for you and I as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, whatever adversity or whatever desert experiences you and I go through on this earth, this is the only hell we will ever know. And that's why David is saying, yeah, it might be bad right now, but I know better days are coming. And notice something. Again, very significant that takes us now from trust and sort of circles us back to thirst and treasure when David says, but the king will rejoice in God. Notice he doesn't say, God, when you give me my throne back, I'm going to rejoice. He doesn't say, God, when I can live in that palace again with all the creature comforts, I'll rejoice. 
He doesn't say, God, when I can, can, can step into the temple again and see that magnificent house of yours in Jerusalem, I'll rejoice. No, it's all about God. He says, I will rejoice in you, God. Because at the end of the day, that's what this is all about. That's why I've shared for years Heaven, folks, is going to be a glorious place, wonderful, no sin, uh, unbelievable, you know, an environment that God is going to create for us, a, a personal space for each of us that Jesus himself is designing and building for us. But the thing that makes heaven heaven and heaven glory is the presence of God himself. Without it, there really is no heaven. Amen. God is what makes it special. God is what makes the Oasis Church special because he, he is willing to come and meet here and be with us. That's what makes it special. That's what makes every day special. Experiencing God. And so when we talk about worship and developing a heart of worship, Oh, my goodness, we should all come back to Psalm 63. Because in this psalm, we really see out of David's heart the essence of worship. You see, David here is declaring in these 11 verses, our hearts are restless until we find our rest in him. Because the giver did not make us to be filled up by the gifts, but by the giver alone. We truly live only when we live for God. That's why Paul said, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's why Paul said, my one aim is to know him. That's living. That's living. Are we living? <laughs> All of us need to ask ourselves three questions today based upon this song. The first question, what do I want out of life? What is it that I'm really thirsting after? What do I long for? Where's my passion? What is my passion of my life? Is it God or is it someone or something else? The second question, who or what do I treasure, cherish, consider of greatest value and worth? Is it God or is it something or someone else? And this is especially relevant to us today, even as Christians. Who or what am I trusting in? Because we live in a world that continues to get crazier and crazier, more chaotic and more chaotic, more restless, and, and, and the news and everything, it, it doesn't paint a very, very nice picture, does it? And, and if you and I don't come to a place, even as a God follower, where we're truly resting in and trusting in the Lord, we will live our lives every day in fear and anxiousness and, and, and angst, and we'll just be wrapped up like, like tiny, tight balls and just always just on edge. 
David says, I've lost everything, and yet I know I can trust in God. I know I'm trusting in the Lord. Who or what are we trusting in? Listen, David says, my lips will praise you, God. David says, I'm alive, so I'm going to praise you. David says, in your name, I'm going to lift up my hands. So we have an opportunity right now to come back from hearing from God and responding to God. Let's respond to him as a group of people who are thirsting after him, who are treasuring him, and who are trusting in him. Could we stand in prayer? God, I pray this morning that there would be a thirst inside of us for you, that there would be a heart inside of us for you, that you are our treasure, God, and that we want to express that to you right now. And that God, in this world of hopelessness and despair and anxiety and worry, God, we want to acknowledge that we are trusting in you, God. We are resting all of our weight upon you. And we know, God, that whatever you call us to go through here on this earth, even as your followers, it is the only hell we will ever experience, God. Because glory awaits us all. As your servant, the Apostle Paul stated, our citizenship is in heaven. And we await our glorious Savior who's coming from there. Coming for us, Lord. We believe in your promise, Jesus, when you said, I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm coming again and receiving you. So that where I am, there you may be also. God, we believe in you today. We trust in you. And we want to acknowledge that and express that out to you in this auditorium, in your house of worship today, God. Because we want to see you in this place, God. We want to experience your power and your splendor and your glory right here, right now. God, would you reveal yourself to your people right now as we lift up our hands and our voices and our hearts in praise to you. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.